Let's give out some awards for the 2021 season today on the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Thursday, January 13th, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com, and thank you for making this show your first listen each day. Today and tomorrow on the show, we are going to give out awards for the 2021 season, and these are mostly, with one exception, going to be positive awards, celebrating the good things that happened for the Jets in 2021. We will have enough time over the weeks ahead to break down all the things that went wrong, but here as we close out what is really, for the Jets, the first week of the offseason, we're going to celebrate the things that went right. So I'll begin with some minor awards, and then we'll get into the major awards later in today's show, and then we'll continue it tomorrow. And I'll begin with the one negative award I'm going to give out, and that is for least valuable player. And this one's pretty obvious if you think about it. If you take a couple minutes, you can figure out who the least valuable player was for the New York Jets in 2021. And if you don't come up with the name that I'm about to mention, you'll soon realize that I'm right. I'm not expecting anybody to have any objections with this player receiving the least valuable player award. And that player only played one game for the Jets, and it's Alex Kessman, who was the kicker in the game against the Philadelphia Eagles after the Jets moved on from Matt Amendola. I mean, listen, you cannot get less valuable than this. Alex Kessman took the field six times as a member of the New York Jets for two extra points and four kickoffs. And of those six times he took the field for the Jets, he missed both extra points. And of the four kickoffs, there was one touchback. This guy cost the Jets two points. And if you remember that game, he really cost the Jets three points because The third time they scored a touchdown in that game, they had so little faith in him that they decided to go for two, and they failed to convert that. So really, this kicker, in six trips to the field, cost the team three points. Very difficult to do worse than that. Alex Kessman will go down as one of the worst players in Jets history. And I'm sorry if you're listening, Alex, or Alex's family, but there's no player who's even in the discussion beside Alex Kessman for least valuable New York Jet in 2021, as far as I'm concerned. Listen, there have been players, there were players who were disappointments. There were players who played poorly for the team this year, but for least valuable player, I think it's a runaway. I would not expect to have anybody object to that. Now, as we continue on these minor awards, everybody always focuses on rookie of the year. We'll talk about rookie of the year a little bit later on the show, but let's talk sophomore of the year. And this one, again, is pretty obvious. And I always like to focus on players entering their second NFL season because it's always tough as a rookie. Most rookies struggle quite a bit. It's a transition, more complex playbooks, bigger, stronger opponents. You name it. Football is now your full-time job. You're in a new city. It's just a lot to deal with. And for those reasons, rookies frequently struggle. And for many players, the biggest improvement comes between year one and year two, because after year one, you kind of have your legs under you, you have a pretty good understanding of the playbook, you know what it takes to succeed in the NFL, you get a full offseason of work in front of you. So 
I always look between year one and year two, and I think that that's a critical juncture for many players. And if we're being objective here, the 2020 Jets draft class, not looking so good for them. This was not a very productive season for any of them, aside from Bryce Hall. Bryce Hall showed that he belongs in this league, and he was a question mark entering this season. The Jets really rolled the dice at the corner position this year. They went with a lot of young players without great draft pedigrees. Of course, Hall was a little bit different because Hall, in another year, probably goes a lot higher. I know that's said about players every year. Every fan wants to believe that their player got a a steal in round five. And frequently, the logic that the fans use is not that great. Hall's a little bit different because, of course, he came out in the 2020 draft at a time where players could not travel to team facilities, and he was coming off a serious injury. And just the lack of knowledge about his injury is what dropped him to round five. He probably would have been a day two pick otherwise if teams had gotten the chance to take a look at him and clear him medically. Well, the Jets got him. And his rookie season, he got into some action late in the season and was very up and down. There were questions. Could he improve? And he did. And he showed he belongs in this league. Now, you know, is he a number one type corner? I'm leaning towards no on that. If you look at him, especially that game against Tampa Bay, where saw a time against Mike Evans, I'm, I'm skeptical of that. But he's part of the solution. I think he's a, a starter. I think he's a good number two. I think he could be a pretty high-end number two corner if you get a top guy to pair with him. So Bryce Hall, I think, clearly the sophomore of the year. I mean, I don't even know who the other options would be. Nobody else is really coming to mind. The 2020 draft class for the Jets is not looking so good. Mekhi Becton, a lost season. Denzel Mims, a really lost season. And Becton, you can at least have some hope that maybe he'll come back from an injury. You know, Ashton Davis, not looking very good. Braden Mann misses time due to injury. We'll be talking late rounds. I mean, the rounds three and round four guys. Nobody's really looking like a player there. So I think Bryce Hall, pretty much the runaway winner for sophomore of the year. Best free agent signing of 2021. This one was kind of under the radar, and it happened late, but if you look at this, this was a signing that really kind of stabilized the offensive line for the Jets, and that was the team signing Morgan Moses to a one-year deal, and it happened at a time in the NFL calendar where there were not a lot of teams that had cap space, so the Jets were able to get him pretty cheap, and I've really come to believe in this league that you need three starting caliber tackles, because Injuries obviously happen on the offensive line. And it's very difficult to do because offensive line depth is at a premium today. Most teams don't have five good enough players to start for them, much less have a guy who could come off the bench. And for the Jets, again, going back to Becton's injury week one, which ended up costing him the rest of the season, having Morgan Moses around really saved this team. Moses began the season as a backup, which was not necessarily a move I agreed with at the time. I was not sure he should be starting over George I was not sure George Fant should be starting over him. Of course, Fant went on to have a pretty good season replacing Becton at left tackle. But you look at this offensive line for the Jets this season, they had some early struggles, but this unit actually was pretty decent. It's not the best offensive line in the league. It's not going to remind anybody of the Jets offensive line from 2008, the late Eric Mangini days through 2010, the early Rex Ryan days, where it was maybe the number one unit in the league and the Jets built a powerful run game behind them, but it also was not the disaster of a line we've seen in recent seasons. It was not the 2019 line, which could not pick up a a stunt early on. This was a line that was credible. It did a decent job for Zach Wilson. It did a decent job in the run game, and I don't think 
they would have been as successful if the Jets had not signed Morgan Moses. And, you know, you look again, Moses was not the signing that had the most fanfare. It was not the signing that had the most hype. It was not the most expensive signing. It shows you just how much a roll of the, the, the dice free agency is because the guys the Jets paid at the top of, end of free agency kind of had lost seasons themselves due to injuries. And it ended up being a much lower key signing, Morgan Moses, who helped stabilize things on the offensive line. And it might be a little bit tricky because Moses is now probably going to have more options this year. And listen, it was not like he played at an all-pro level, but quality offensive line play in this league is not easy to find right now. Now he'll enter free agency this year at a time where more teams have cap space. You know, you enter free agency in the summer, it's tough because teams have spent all their money. They've already done their free agent spending. They aren't anticipating players shaking loose. Might be difficult for the Jets to get him back, and he's also not necessarily guaranteed a starting job if he returns here. He's probably going to have a starting job elsewhere if he looks at the market, but a guy who I think the Jets should try to bring back, should try and do what they can, it might be tough to convince him. It might be tough financially to to do it, but I think my first choice would be to have Morgan Moses back, and this ended up being a good signing for the Jets, and you know, if nothing else, I know that there are some question marks about how much progress the Jets are making. I mean, one area where you could say I think Joe Douglas is showing some progress is the offensive line, and I think Moses certainly helped on that front. So those are the minor awards I'm going to give out. Now let's talk about some of the more major awards. And ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast, I'm going to name the guy who I thought had the best year on the Jets coaching staff. And when the Jets hired this coach to their staff last offseason, it was a little bit of a gamble, but they were looking for an edge, just like we're all looking for an edge these days. And I'd like to thank OnlineGambling.com for sponsoring today's podcast. If you don't know already, OnlineGambling.com is a website dedicated to giving betters the edge. Throughout the playoffs, they're providing you with the best NFL tips, news, and more to help make your bets as informed as ever. If you're planning on placing a bet during the playoffs, make sure you head to OnlineGambling.com before you do, because OnlineGambling.com gives bettors the edge by providing the best and most trusted experience online all day, every day. That includes their OG Tips section, where you find their own Super Bowl picks, as well as the inside track on how to beat the odds through the NFL playoffs. Make sure you visit OnlineGambling.com NFL for all the latest gambling news, tips, and info to beat the odds and give you the edge throughout the playoffs. Rem- remember, OnlineGambling.com NFL to make the most of this year's playoffs. Thanks again for making Locked On Jets your first listen each day. Today we are giving out awards for the 2021 New York Jets. In the first segment, I gave out some awards in what I consider minor categories. Now let's move on to major categories coach of the year and on the new york jets coaching staff for 2021 i'm giving my coach of the year award to mike lafleur i think ultimately after some early struggles lafleur was everything we hoped he would be when the jets got him this past offseason i was very excited i was hoping they would find a young coach with innovative ideas somebody with some fresh insight on the way NFL offenses were evolving. I'm not sure I want to use the phrase coaching to where football is going. That's a very infamous phrase in Jets history because that's what Chris Johnson said about Adam Gase at his introductory press conference back in 2019. But I wanted a young, fresh offensive mind, whether that was going to be the head coach or the offensive coordinator. And one of the reasons I was excited when the Jets hired Robert Sala was that he had access to a pipeline of offensive coaches who had worked under Kyle Shanahan. 
And LaFleur came in, and there were some question marks about him. I remember last offseason, my interactions with some people, some mailbag questions we got for our Wednesday mailbag shows were, is LaFleur experienced enough? Because he is a young guy. There, It is kind of a double-edged sword there. You get young guy, you do get fresh ideas, you get a new way of thinking, maybe you get some innovation, but you also do lack experience. And I remember heading into week one against Carolina, I made a joke that it would take about two offensive series for Jets fans to start criticizing LaFleur's play calling, and that was pretty accurate. And in the early stages of the season, LaFleur got a lot of grief. Some of it was justified, I thought. Some of it was not. Some of it I gave out. Some of it I thought was overblown. Some of my own criticisms were unjustified. I was probably not as critical as a lot of people were over the lack of Denzel Mims playing time. But I did wonder a little bit, and as we all learned, LaFleur was kind of justified in not putting Mims on the field. In the early part of the season, though, I did think there were some issues with the way LaFleur was handling things. That said, I thought maybe he was getting a little bit too much of the blame because Zach Wilson was struggling so much. Well, a turning point came in the game against the Cincinnati Bengals, and it was not just because Mike White took over at quarterback, but in that game, Mike LaFleur moved up to the coaching booth to call the plays. Prior to that point, he had been on the field calling the plays. And there had been some talk early in the season that LaFleur wanted to coach from the booth on game day, but he was forced to be on the field because the Jets wanted Zach Wilson to be able to interact directly one-on-one with his offensive coordinator during the games, opposed to needing to speak with LaFleur over the phone. And if that was the approach, perhaps it was a bit detrimental. The Jets, of course, during the season brought in Wilson's personal quarterbacks coach, John Beck. They hired him to the staff. And LaFleur was then freed to move up to the booth because Wilson could interact directly with Beck during the games. Now, listen, I think it's a very easy narrative to write. Very easy to say that, oh, well, once LaFleur went up to the booth, his play calling was better. Sometimes these narratives don't really play out. But I do have to say, I think there's something to this idea because it seems like LaFleur had a much better grasp of what was going on during these games. Now, listen. When the offensive coordinator is on the field, that means position coaches are up in the booth communicating with him, seeing things they see. But I do get the sense LaFleur maybe did have a better handle on things after he moved upstairs. And I thought the play calling got much more creative. I mean, how many times did the Jets use to great effect a lateral this season? I mean, one of their staple plays became the handoff outside to Michael Carter, who laterals it back to the quarterback. And I don't think the Jets ever hit a big play off that. But they were able to get some decent gains because the quarterback would then hit the check down read and they'd move the chains. There was, of course, the play in Miami on the third and long where Zach Wilson hit Jamison Crowder over the middle and then Crowder lateraled it across the field to Braxton Berrios, who ended up picking up the first down. And late in the season, it felt like the Jets got the run game going. And on some level, I think that's probably a credit to LaFleur that they seemed to get better in that area as the season progressed. LaFleur is always going to be in a tough spot because every single fan in the NFL thinks that they can call offensive plays. It's a phenomenon that does not exist on defense. Yes, fans get critical of the defensive coordinator, but unless it's like an obvious situation, like Greg Williams zero blitzing in a Hail Mary situation, you're typically not going to get the specific criticism you get from offensive play calls. And frequently the criticism on offensive play calls is whether or not it works. 
you could have the best process for a play, but somebody misses a block and the play fails and the fans all think that they can do better than you. You know, if a run fails, why didn't you pass? If a pass fails, why didn't you run? And when you're the offensive coordinator, you're never far away from getting a ton of criticism. Even the fans who are happy with their offensive coordinator's performance one year can end up calling for their job the next year if things don't go as well. And that's especially true when you have a young quarterback in place. You know, early in the season, Zach Wilson wasn't playing well. Was that Mike LaFleur's fault? I think LaFleur was not blameless, but I think he got too much of a proportion of the blame because what tends to happen in the NFL is if the young quarterback struggles, he's not the one that gets the blame. It's the coaches who get the blame before the young quarterback. So LaFleur had to deal with all of that. He may still have to deal with that in the future, but I liked his play calling. I liked his playbook. I liked his creativity. I thought as the season went on, he got a better feel for how to stay ahead of the defense, how to stay a step ahead of what the defense was going to do, put tendencies down on film and then break them when the defense thought they had things figured out. So for this year, and we'll see what happens next year, but for this year, I'm giving Mike LaFleur my Coach of the Year award. Now we're going to close things out today on the Locked On Jets podcast with me giving out the Rookie of the Year award. And that is a tricky decision. It was not an easy one. The Jets were fortunate enough to have plenty of rookies who showed upside in 2021. And on that note, I want to tell you about an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about called GetUpside. And my listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. Yes, that's 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as $200 or $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Again, that's promo code TOUCHDOWN using the free GetUpside app. And of course, it's playoff time and a new year. And Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we move into the NFL playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. With a new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website, sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code Locked On to get started. Again, that's promo code Locked On. It's one word with no space L O C K E D O N for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for 2022. Because Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Thursday. Today I'm giving out awards for the 2021 New York Jets, and I'm going to close out the show by handing out my Rookie of the Year award. And fortunately for the Jets, there were plenty of candidates this year. This was a very strong rookie class. It's the type of thing that has to give you some hope for the future. Now, there are some things that maybe you don't love about the Jets' future, but this 2021 rookie class is looking pretty solid. I thought Elijah Vera Tucker had a solid year at guard. Michael Carter II stepping right in and playing pretty well at slot corner. You always love to see that from a day three pick, because day three picks typically don't contribute right off the bat. For me, it was a choice between two guys, though. You had Michael Carter, the original, the running back, and you had Elijah Moore, the wide receiver. 
And if I was going purely on production, I might go with the running back, Michael Carter. But I'm giving out my award to Elijah Moore because I think Elijah Moore added an element to this offense that I haven't seen in quite a while. There was a stretch there before he got hurt where he was really coming along. And he looked like he was a star in the making. He was adding an extra element to this offense. Now, I understand that did not happen in the early stages of the season. And I understand he missed some games late in the year with the injuries. But, you know, I think back to the early part of the season, I don't think the Jets were utilizing him well enough. I don't think that they were making enough of an effort to get him the ball in space. In that last segment, when I talked about Mike LaFleur's improvement, that's one of the things I noticed, that they made a much better effort to try and utilize Elijah Moore's playmaking ability. But beyond that, you know, I got to tell you, early in the season, one of the things that struck me when I was watching the film over on games was Elijah Moore was getting open. The Jets just weren't getting in the ball. And I think part of that maybe fell on LaFleur for not featuring him enough in the progressions. I think part of it was Zach Wilson not seeing him. Zach Wilson struggling quite a bit early in the season. And even as we got later to the season, I think when Wilson returned from injury, the connection improved, but it still wasn't quite there yet. The chemistry wasn't quite where you're hoping it will get in the future. But those games with Mike White, with Joe Flacco in there, I mean, I think we saw flashes of real talent from Elijah Moore. You saw real playmaking ability, and it's not just his ability to do things in space. That's one of the things that makes him so dangerous, that you can just give him, get him the ball on a screen, you can give him a jet sweep, you can run him on an end around, just getting him the ball in space. He can make things happen in the open field, but he's also not a bad route runner. You know, early in the season, I heard people say he needs to be in the slot. I'm not sure I agree with that. Now, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but I also did not think he had any trouble getting off the line, getting good releases. Very crisp route runner, makes very sudden breaks, has an ability to get separation in a number of different ways. I think he's going to be quite a player for the Jets going forward. And one thing that may say it all about Elijah Moore, and perhaps this also says something about maybe the Jets wide receiver position not performing up to expectations, but he only played 11 games. He still led the Jets in receiving yardage, and he led the Jets in receiving touchdowns. So he obviously produced quite a bit for this team this season, and it feels like we were kind of scratching the surface before he went out with injuries. But I just think about that impact. And listen, I, you want to say Michael Carter deserves the award. I can't argue with you. I think it's maybe a flip of the coin. I'm probably going more with peak production than I am total production this season. If you wanted to argue total production, I think you might go with Michael Carter. But I think in the early part of the season, even though Moore wasn't producing a ton, I don't put that on him. I still think he was doing his job. I just don't think the Jets were... were utilizing his talents enough and then once they started utilizing his talents he made this into a different offense and I can't remember many players who were as exciting who added that type of dimension as Elijah Moore did for the Jets this past season and it makes me very excited about his future and the future of this offense anyway that's all for our show today thank you for listening this has been the Locked On Jets podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network as always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Hope you have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow, and I will conclude the awards for the Jets in 2021.